Next slide, Luke 4, 8. This is our verse, theme verse for the seminar. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. And our plenary speaker gave us a great example of what this is like. Next. So in this seminar, we're going to talk about what is true worship versus what is self-worship. Again, our speaker gave a good example of how her life had changed when she was a basically self-worshipper and what happened when she became a true worshiper. Next, godliness in the last days. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 7 tells us what this looks like in the last days. And you tell me if you think we're living in the last days. But understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self. How many selfies do you see on social media? <laughs> lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, <gasps> heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control. Brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen, conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Isn't this a lot? You can look at any headline, any blog post title, any podcast, and see examples of every single one of these. Verse 5, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of truth. Next, let's look at self-worship. You can go ahead and click through all. Okay, I think it's one more. There you go. In the Ten Commandments, God commands that we shall have no other gods before him. Exodus 20, verse 3. Jesus also teaches that we cannot serve both God and ourselves, nor anything else. Matthew 6, 24. Self-worship is when you place yourself at the center of your life, prioritizing your own desires, needs, and wants above all else. And we'll get into, we're going to break this down a little bit more and what that looks like in our lives. This leads to a sense of entitlement, selfishness, disregard for the needs and feelings of others. Although we don't mean to be that way, but it's our own desires that drive us. Actually, it's not just the desires. It's the way we go about trying to get the desires. That is the problem. And that is like, we don't mean to, but I'm trying to get it. But this increases our feelings of stress, anxiety, and depression. It's like, why do I have so much anxiety? Why am I so depressed? Um, remember what the speaker said, it's not God is here. It's us that moved, right? So it's, it's like, check your own heart. So self-worship is actually idolatry, which is the worship of anything other than God. Next. True worship, you can click one more time. True worship, what is true God worship? John 4, 23 says, But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. So what does that mean, to worship the Father in spirit? I know we read that, we read past that, right? What do you think that means? 
I can't hear anyway, so I don't know why I'm asking y'all. I can't hear. <laughs> so let me just say what it is. In spirit, that it must originate from within, from the heart. It must be sincere, motivated by our love for God and gratitude for all he is and has done. The word gratitude is going to come up. You can test it. The word gratitude is going to come up. Is it working? Awesome sauce. So the, I say that uh, the word gratitude is a spiritual weapon. Keep testing while I'm talking. It's okay. That is something to use. It's not like what Oprah say, get out your gratitude journal and write, you know, three things you're grateful for. I mean, that's a good practice. But if your motive is so that I can feel good about myself, that's the wrong. That is not biblical gratitude. Biblical gratitude is being grateful and content in what in the life that you have, not based on your circumstances, whether something is good or bad. It is in who God is, as our speaker was telling us, and who we are in Christ and what he's done for us. Thank you. Thank you. What's your name? Back back there. Kiki. Thank you, Kiki. Yay, for helping me out. Thank you. True worship comes from the Spirit of God and involves surrendering your own desires and priorities to God, recognizing Him as the true source of your joy, peace, and fulfillment. Okay, so true worship, Philippians 3, verse 3, says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. That means we give him the credit. We brag on him and put no confidence in the flesh. That's going to come up again, putting no confidence in the flesh. So so how do we get into this true worship? First, we have to recognize God as the one true God. The world will tell us that, you know, God, God, you know, God is a woman. He's, you know, he's anything. He can, whatever these binaries and this and all this kind of stuff that's out. It's like, that's, you know, you can make God however you want God to be. Um, God is like, uh, he created us and then just let us loose. It's like, that's, that's a good, he's just, we can do whatever we want. We have free will. First, you have to recognize the one true God from the Bible and then submit to him, submit to his will. But wait a minute, but I want this in my life. I want to achieve these things. I want things to go this way. But is that his will? You have to submit to his will. Third, giving him the reverence and honor that he deserves. We know how we like to be honored. We know we like recognition, right? Well, God originated that. That belongs to him. So if we are trying to get that for ourselves, that means that we're not giving it to him. So that means we're always giving him the reverence and the honor that he deserves. It is placing God at the center of your life and making choices that align with his teachings and his principles. True worship makes Christ the center of your faith and reminds you that your ultimate source of problem solving is found in him. And I'm bringing up problem solving because we are problem solvers. The world is teaching us how to solve our problems. You can go to a therapist, you can go to school, you can take a course, all these types of things. Like how do we, how do we solve our problem? But you notice that it's all without God, without the presence of God. So the world, if we're looking for problem solving solutions apart from God, that can lead us into self-worship. So 
rather than in your own accomplishments, status, and circumstances, it's like, how do you solve your problems? Okay, you guys have a uh, this handout. Um, like I said, I'm extra. As a biblical counselor, I like to, I'm visual. I like to do something. So we're going to go through this worksheet real quick. Okay, so we're looking at the cycle of self-worship. On the back is the cycle of God-worship. So it's front and back. Looking at self-worship, first, um, I desire. Desires are not wrong. God has given us desires. We're human. So we have desires. But then we say, I have this, this desire, but then I deserve it. The world is telling us, you deserve it, girl. You know, you deserve it. And then once we get that in our minds, then it becomes a demand. So now we're walking out into life having this demand. It's like, I have my desire. I deserve it. I'm going to get it. And I'm going to, by any means necessary, I'm going to get it. So we have these expectations, right? This is the next one. We have these expectations of getting and things happening. It's like, come on, we got to do this. And we, we think people are to fall in line and circumstances are to fall in line. And when they don't, what happens? How do we feel? We're disappointed. It's like when my kingdom is threatened, I become judgmental. I become critical. It's like, why aren't you doing what I told you to do? Or are you trying to, it's like we just, it just gets all messy because we are demanding our rights and our needs. And then we get discouraged even more so because we're not getting what we want because we're trying so hard. We're manipulating. We're being critical. We do all these things to get in our own flesh to get what we want. And we get discouraged. There's, you see, ungodly sadness at the end. It's supposed to be on your papers. I think it has slash anger. Ungodly sadness leads to anger. We want to flip it. We, when we get to the other page, we're going to see what godly sadness leads to. But ungodly sadness leads to anger. And in that anger, we lash out at people. We destroy relationships. We lose our jobs, get fired because you're getting, you know, your temper blew. Uh, and then there's depression if we let it keep going. Um, my experience with depression was I was in, I was married, married young, and my ex-husband at the time pretended to be a Christian. He had all this, the Christianese language and everything, but turned out in the marriage early on, I realized he's not what he said he was. But I was a young Christian, so I didn't know a lot at the beginning, but as I grew, I grew in wisdom. I, I grew in uh, learning. It's like, wow, that's not, that's not right. And he kept getting just more and more off track. We eventually had a kiddo at, uh, in five years. She's here with me. She's 24 uh, and she's with my mom. But, uh, and we had her and it's just kept getting worse. And ultimately by 9-11-2001, he had left us. And right after that, I went into a three-year depression very dark. And I it's like, I, I didn't go to a therapist. So I wasn't diagnosed with clinical depression, but looking back on that, it's like, I, it was dark for three years, but in God's grace, he had a friend call me every Sunday more every Sunday for two years straight. Now well, it's actually three years. I, I called her recently. She's like, no, that was, that was almost four years. Like, <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but just speaking truth into me, my church, you know, would come and speak truth into me. Plus, I was just wrestling with God. Depression is this internalness that's going on, internal anger. It's like all this is ruminating. God, why did you let this happen? I, you know, you knew this about him. Then, you know, all this stuff. You're mad at God and angry. All that stuff is going on. Um, and I literally did not notice the sun for three years. 
And it wasn't until after God was feeding in and I got to a point where I chose, keyword, chose to believe what God said about me, that I am not damaged goods. Because in the church, when you're divorced, you know, those that, that stigma is there and all kinds of things happen where you feel like I'm not worthy to be among God's people. I'm damaged goods. And after like laying those lies aside, um, I began to choose the truth. And then I was coming out of this depression. That's how I knew I was coming out. Because one day I was driving down the road in a car and I'm like, wow, it's so bright out here. The sun is shining. I'm sure it had been shining for three years, but I didn't see it. It was so dark. And then if I would have stayed into that darkness, right, then I would have gone to despair. And in despair, you began to think, why? I, I don't, I just, I just want to die. You start having suicidal thoughts. And then we know in this culture, there are a lot of people at this point. Something is happening in their lives. It's so emotionally painful. They just want to escape. They see no way out because they're only looking at themselves. That's why if, if I had kept looking at myself, I would have gone to this darkness. Thankfully, I had believers speaking into my life. God's word was strong, and I was a believer, so he's, this is how I was sealed by the Holy Spirit, so he wasn't letting me go. Um, so yeah, despair can lead to suicide, and then the demands keep increasing. So that is the self-worship cycle. Let's flip it over to the God-worship cycle. So desires, like I said, we have desires. Those are there. But what do we do with those desires? So expectations, we still have expectations, but when those expectations are unmet, because nothing on earth is, will truly satisfy us, nothing on earth is truly sufficient. So think about that. Every, when we wake up in the morning, there are things that we're looking for to satisfy ourselves, to be, you know, to give me this fulfillment. Nothing on earth will ever fulfill that. It is only in Christ. So if you think about this, like, okay, now I need to stop pursuing people and things like I'm doing because I know that will not. So this, so yes, we get disappointed. We get disappointed when things we desire, God doesn't answer that prayer. We can get disappointed. He can handle that disappointment. And it's under this disappointment, it says when circumstances and people fail and we, uh, and it, we deal with the pressures through obedience to God's glory. We still remain obedient. We still praise him. And then we relinquish our rights. It's like, okay, I, it's like, I deserve nothing. You know, I, I was nothing, just like our speaker was saying. We're, we're nothing before Christ. And it's like, I don't deserve that. And then when you get to that point, then you have contentment. And that contentment, you're focused on God's glory and not trying to grab and pull stuff. So godly sadness leads to thanksgiving. Ungodly sadness leads to anger and bitterness and all that kind of stuff. But it's like we can still be sad that we didn't get something. But ultimately, it leads to thanksgiving because you become content. And in that, you're able to love other people. You're able to forgive. You're able to reconcile those relationships. And then you have hope. And you live in that light of that eternity. And so these desires in Christ deepens. I forget which verse it was. Psalm 34. I can't remember. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's because we, it's like, I'm turning instead of delighting in myself and what I want. I'm delighting in God now. And he gives us the desires that we're supposed to have. I say he, he purifies our desires, really. So moving on. Identity theft. So I, I wanted to say this about us. So when we are 
living in life and we're wondering, what's wrong with me? What is it? And we're trying to piecemeal, trying to fix and pro- solve problems. We need to remember that we are, God told us in First Thessalonians 5.23, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. Sanctify means what? Set apart. Set apart. Sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit, soul, and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. As human beings, we live in a physical body. We have a soul, which is the emotion, the personality, and we live eternally as a spirit that God connects with his spirit. Whatever happens to one part of our being has repercussions on the other. So think about that when we go through these things here. Soul, like I said, is the seat of the personality. It's the heart, mind, emotions, and conscience. The spirit is where we communicate with God. That's faith, hope, belief, prayer, where the Holy Spirit dwells. Your body, physical body, that's, you know, touch, taste, feel, hear, all that kind of stuff. So remember this, like, we are whole people in that that sense. Okay, hold on. So there are three basic human emotional needs. This is just three broad categories, but it's good to remember it in threes. So love. Love is to know that someone is unconditionally committed to your best interests. Interest, human connection and belonging. Okay, this is what we desire when we wake up in the morning. This is what we desire. We desire to be loved. And John 15, 12 says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So under that category of love, it's like compassion. I want, I want someone to be compassionate uh, with me. I want unconditional love. I want acceptance. I want companionship. Nothing's wrong with that. Those are good desires God has given us. Significance is also a desire God has given us to know that your life has a meaning and purpose, that you are important, that you are valued. And under that significance, it's like validation. When you're talking to someone and you're expressing your heart, expressing your feelings, you don't want them to dismiss what you're saying and go on talking about themselves. I know we have some friends that do that. It's like, I'm trying to tell you my heartfelt you know, desire and passion or thought on this. And you're talking about something else. So we want validation. That is normal to want to be validated, to have that approval, to feel worthy. And if you are trying to copiously take notes, I will give you my email and I can email you this PowerPoint in a PDF form. Um, I'll give you, somebody just remind me to say my email at the end. Okay, attention. We also want legacy. That means we, you know, um, as mothers, as especially men as well, it's like you want to leave a legacy, right? It's like that's something that God has given us. Um, we want to belong. And Psalm 57, 2, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. And we also want security. This is a common need to feel safe and feel protected, Right. And under that, you, we think of stability. It's like, I want my household to be stable. I want to be financially stable. I want my health to be stable. Um, also, reconciliation. You don't want relationships that are broken. You want to be broken. We desire that. And then refuge and peace. Proverbs 14, 26 says, Whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress. For their children, it, for their children, it will be a refuge. Okay, so ask yourself. This is a self-check-in. What do I want 
that I would sin to get or have sinned to get? Ask yourself that question. What or who do I use to define myself? Is there a certain group, certain clique in the church? <laughs> do you see us like, oh, they're in that group, you know? It's like, she thinks she's something. It's like, it's like the closer up to the leadership that you are is like, I'm special. Well, leaders are human just as we are, Amen. right? We are not to worship or idolize anyone. If Jesus wanted me to give something up or somebody up, could I? Would I? So what is driving this? I want to talk about four core idols of worship that's driving our decisions every single day. So this is actually in your... Um, notes as a chart. Okay, sorry. I told you I'm, I'm not coordinated with this, this, these two things. Okay, so there are four. Idol of power, idol of approval, idol of comfort, idol of control. So we're going to talk about this. So the idol of power, the desire to obtain the capacity or ability to direct or influence the behavior of others or the course of events. Since our speaker shared her story about her desire to get her dad's love, remember those three emotions? She wanted that love. And it's really, it's all three. She did, she, you know, we want love. She wants love, she wants uh, significance, and she wants security in her relationship with her dad. So what did she do in her power? She said she was an overachiever. She did a lot of performance things to get this from her dad, and she still didn't get it. So that for her, that in that moment, that was her idol. So also the idol of approval. How many people pleasers are in here? All right. <laughs> the desire for others to see you as good and acceptable and value recovery. I like that. Yes. That's what Christ will do, right? The idol of comfort. This is definitely my idol. I mean, we this is like we are all we have all of these idols. But it's like there's some some of them that stand out more, that drives us more. Uh, the desire to maintain a state of physical ease and freedom from pain and constraint. I already told you a part of my story. It's like after that, it's like I, I don't want any other drama. I just want my life to be comfortable and safe. And um, But there are problems to that. We're going to get to that. The idol of control, the desire to influence or direct people's behaviors or the course of events. Okay. Idol of power. Isaiah 14, 14. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Who said that? The devil. Satan said that. Matthew 23, 11 through 12. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. That is a promise from God. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. So the person who humbles themselves, they're not looking for the spotlight. And when God gives it to them, they're not going to boast in it. They're going to be reverent in giving him the honor and the glory. So these are some examples. Yes. Yes. What indicates that we are not humble? That's a good question. Let me answer it in my examples. And I can probably answer it coming up in this one. So in the idol of power, these are just some examples of what that looks like. Performance. Like a speaker was talking, her idol was performance. She needed to, to perform. Perfectionism, any perfectionists in here? Okay, critical spirit. So your question was, 
what constitutes right? And then there's the opposite of that is power, what you're saying. Yes. So when we are trying to be powerful, we're not being humble most often. Right. But I wanted you to indicate to me what makes me think that I have so much power when I should especially be trying, trying to be humble as a child of God. Okay, this is an example. All of these are examples. I'm going to pick on a critical spirit. Not saying that you have that, but I know I do. It's like we, we all have some of this. But this is my example. So how do you, it's like when you're trying to do the right thing, it's like this is a good cause. I want this good thing to happen. And in your own human resourcefulness, this is when the idol of power comes up, I'm going to have this critical spirit. Not, I'm not saying I have a critical spirit. It's like these things that you do, it's like, you realize I'm having a critical spirit. And let me tell you, this is what it is. A critical spirit is a negative attitude of the heart that seeks to condemn, tear down, and destroy with words. Okay, I've, I'm, if I'm saying you are saying, I'm going to point to Adrian because I don't want to point it to anybody else. <laughs> Using music, yeah, you. If I say, go ahead, I'm just picking at you. It's like I'm saying, if Adrian is not doing something right, he's breaking down my PowerPoint and messing up my tech, the technology. It's like, Adrian, why can't you ever do it? Because like, I'm upset because this is a good thing. We need this thing going, but I'm upset with him and I'm being critical of him because he's not giving me what I want. That is a critical. I'm trying to control him to make him feel bad enough and then to do it right. My intentions originally was to get this thing going because it's for a good cause. You guys need to hear this or whatever. But that brings in a sin. It brings in self-worship. So I'm going to tell you, okay, that's how, that's the ugliness of it. And then I'm going to give you some more examples. I'm going to tell you how do you overcome that? How do you flip that around? I'm going to tell you in the end. Okay, four examples of a critical spirit. One is a gossiper. So if you're sitting here saying, I don't have a critical spirit. No, that's not mine. Let's see. Okay, gossiper. A gossiper is one who reveals secrets going about as a talebearer or a scandal monger. First Timothy 5.13 says, at the same time, they also learn to be idle as they go around from house to house and not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies talking about things not proper to mention. Also an example of a critical spirit is a slanderer. A slanderer is a person who makes false statements in order to damage a person's reputation. It's like when we're trying to control a narrative, it's like I want to get to this right narrative, so I got to say all this to manipulate it, and so people will believe what I want them to believe. So you're willing to slander someone to get to that point. Proverbs 12, 16, 28 says, a perverse man or woman spreads strife and a slanderer separates intimate friends. Third type, judgmentalism. A judgmental person has an excessively critical point of view characterized by a tendency to judge harshly lacks empathy and believes her point of view is right. Believes she has the ability to know others' motives. I know why she said that. Oh, oh, she, that what thing right there she texted? Okay, I know exactly what she's saying. It's like, or, or, or if you have a husband, it's like, okay, oh, I know why my husband's doing that. He's doing it because it's like, yeah, you may know him that well, but ultimately you don't know the depths of his core. I do do marriage counseling with a co-pastor, and uh, it's, it runs deep. 
when uh, marriages have been together for so long. Um, yeah, you do know a lot about each other, but you do you will never know the core of a person's heart. Their uh, wife may think she knows her husband so well, but there are things in his heart that he will reveal to counselors that he ne- has never revealed to her, and vice versa. Uh, so it just just it, it keeps you humble, huh. keeps you humble to recognize I I don't know everything. It's like who am I to judge that person and say what that motive the motive is. Fourth one, complainer. A complainer is a person who habitually who is habitually negative about others and circumstances of life characterized by discontentment and ingratitude. James 5.9 says, Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. So to overcome a critical spirit, you're complaining, you're, what godly character, there are multiple ones, but what godly characters do we need to have in order to become humble um, what do you think? What? Patience. Patience. That's one of the fruit of the spirit. So you can list the fruit of the spirit. Um, so if we, if we find ourselves that I, okay, this idol of power has a hold of me, it's consuming me because I'm falling into that critical spirit category. Um, how can I, how can I be humble instead of proud? Okay, so let me uh, acknowledge my sin and all of this complaining. This I have to confess it. I have to repent because that is causing your heart to change. It is melting away. It is you letting go of those gods, those things that you, those rights that you remember. I cycle. You're letting go of the rights that you you wanted, and it is the Holy Spirit that creates a humility of heart. So that's you can't like say I want a humble heart. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna get this humble heart. It's the Holy Spirit that, as you are doing these things that please God, that hum- that humility will come because of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if that answered your question, but we can talk later if you want to keep. Okay, uh, the idol of power. So, what does the Bible say? What is the truth against that idol? Put no confidence in the flesh. Philippians three three. So the idol of approval, Genesis 30, verse 1, when Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. So she said to Jacob, give me children or I'll die. This is suicidal talk. It's just, I'm calling it what it is. She, in this culture, being a woman was not highly valued. A woman who has children, that was her value. That was her worth. And she didn't have any children. So what was her life worth? She did not see it was worth anything. So she would rather die. So this is like some serious talk here. This is how deep the idol of approval can take us ultimately to darkness and death. Galatians 1.10, am I trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ because you cannot serve Christ and try to please other people. doesn't work. We can have an altar of repentance later. (laughs) We're all into this. Okay, what is the truth here? If I were still trying to please, we just said that, please, man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Idol of comfort, Jonah, remember him, 4.8. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. 
and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Because he was so miserable, he was not getting what he wanted. He was uncomfortable in his circumstances. And the only solution for him was, I just need to die. I need to escape. I need to get out of the situation. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our speaker just talked about this. The Father of mercies and God of all comfort. And who, who comforts us in all our affliction. That means she also mentioned... Uh, about her past and, and, you know, it's like, man, if God, if you would have saved me earlier, it's like, now the, the, the affliction serves a purpose, no matter how long you're in it and what is going on, what has happened in your past. He takes that past, that affliction, and he brings you comfort so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are, con- are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Okay, so the truth to combat this idol, true comfort comes from God, okay? I realize I can't create my own comfort because when I do try to create my own comfort, that means I am blocking out people, I am blocking out opportunities, and, uh, and in the meantime, that is bringing anxiety, despair, whatever. It's not giving me what I want it. So the idol of control, Matthew 18, 29, his fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it. He pleaded, but his create, his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. If you read that in context, this guy, had just been forgiven his debt. And now he is leader over somebody else. And then this person owed him. There was no mercy whatsoever. He, cause he's trying to control the situation and, and this idol made him, basically he forgot the grace and mercy that he had because he's serving this idol. Proverbs three, five and six, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. So I challenged the guys in the first session to, I, this is a 30 day challenge for you to wake up in the morning and not only read this verse, but determine to live out this verse of no matter what's like things are happening in your life. Now you may be struggling with some health issues. You may be struggling financially. You may be whatever struggling in a relationship Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding because that's what drives us. It's like, well, I understand. It's like, well, this person needs to do this or I understand this is what the doctor said. It's like in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. That is a promise. So uh, let me just tell you this real quick or maybe I'll tell you later. Somewhere in this PowerPoint, I need to tell you. It's not here yet. I'll tell you later. Okay. Idol of control. Examples. Manipulator, complainer, worry, busyness, hypocrite, modern Pharisee, instant gratification. I don't have time to go over each one. So those are examples. So the idol of control. This cartoon says, I'm not a control freak, but you're doing it wrong. (laughs) So the truth against the idol of control, nevertheless, not my will but yours be done, Luke twenty two forty two. So you guys have this chart in your notes. So I'm just going to pick one 
And since our speaker spoke of her idol, which was power, and it's approval as well, but power because of what she did, uh, what we seek to have a meaningful life. So she felt that I need this power here to have this, this desire. Actually, approval is better. I want the love and affection of my dad. So I, my idol is approval. And what is the price you're willing to pay? She basically less independence in the sense of who she is. She was putting herself out there to please her dad by overachieving, doing this and doing that. And her, because her greatest nightmare was rejection, loneliness, abandonment. You can put so many words and descriptors in here. And I don't know how her father felt, but if we're doing this, if we have this idol of approval in, in, in our lives, the people that we're seeking this from, they're going to feel smothered, right? They're going to feel like, oh, she's so needy. She's, you know, it's like her, her she start, it's like you call and they avoid your phone call. Uh, you text and they don't respond right away because it's like, oh. So what is this, if you have that idol of approval, uh, what are you fearing? Um, rejection, which is not here, but rejection is one. Thinking of the speaker's story, she didn't want to, she didn't want to feel rejected. She didn't want to feel not valued by her father. Um, and then what sins are committed? Uh, in her case, you know, she was just, just doing this approval thing and, and performance and who knows what she was sacrificing to do all these things. Um, definitely wasn't worshiping God, um, in that, and when she was trying to get that from her dad. So how do we overcome it? So repent of your longing for power by submitting to his greater power within you. Approval, how do you repent from your longing for approval? By rejoicing in his gracious approval. And that is eternal. That is never ending. Repent of your longing for comfort by remembering he is the greater comfort. And repent of your longing for control by surrendering to his ultimate control because his power is greater. His control is perfect. His comfort is satisfying. His approval is eternal. There is no God like our God. Amen. Okay. So identity truth. First Chronicles 16, 29 through 30. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Now I can tell my story. Okay, so how much time we have? Almost there. A couple months ago, well, before a couple months ago, for years I've been uh, dealing with some health issues, going to doctors and stuff, uh, and doing tests and all this kind of stuff. Uh, end of last year, did a CT scan, had uh, an ovarian cyst on my right ovary, and then later in March, I did an MRI, and it, when it gets to a certain size, as my gynecologist told me, oh, well, I'm going to send you to a specialist. And I'm like, is that a GYN oncologist? You know, you hear that word oncologist, it's like, whoa. Well, it's because my in my career, I'm a cytotechnologist. <clears throat> I screen your past smears. I look for cancer cells under a microscope. I can I can determine ovarian cancer. I can I can find breast cancer, thyroid cancer, all this kind of stuff. Uh, that's what I do. But when it happens to you personally, it's like a different story uh, because no longer am I in control. So in the meantime, I was preparing for. So I work full time, but I was also preparing for a speaking at a women's retreat. And in the midst of this is all happening in the midst of the, trying to get the PowerPoint going. And one day I was, I was just sitting in my bed trying to do this PowerPoint when the worry came up because 
what they say is we don't know if it's benign or malignant and we won't know that until surgery. So like, well, I need my surgery date because I have this retreat in April and I have this thing on June 3rd that I can't miss. So we got to do this in between April and June. And it's like, are we going to be like benign? It's going to be recovery. It's like, okay, we are done. I'm going to make it. That was my prayer. But I wasn't in control of that. Right. I think you were on that text. right? Yeah. It's like, but what if it was malignant? I mean, I had the surgery on May 12th, and so that's why my mom is here. She came out for it, and uh, praise the Lord, it's all benign. I'm up here. I don't know pain. Um, but in the midst of that, and before I knew that, I was preparing this PowerPoint, and I was the worry, guys, you know, that worry was coming up. It's coming up. It's like, I can't do this. I got stuff to do. Um, and this song named, I don't see it. Tell me if you guys know this song. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Who knows this song? Okay, sing a tune. Sing it. What is it? Nope. Not that one. Okay. Run on me. Right? Blessed be your name. Keep going. Blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering through this pain and the offering. Blessed be your name. Keep going. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Okay, the last one. You give and take away. I can't sing. Give and take away. My heart will choose to say, Blessed be your name. Yes. I literally pulled that up on YouTube and started listening and got into that worship, got into the presence of the Lord. And I was able to finish my PowerPoint, go on to the retreat, still didn't have the information that I needed, but that's what the true, that's what true worship will do. So we're coming to the end here, the heavens. And do you need the other one? Sheila, do you want, were you trying to? No, I can find the rest. Yeah. Okay. The heavens and the sky, Psalm 19, one, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handy work. Oh, sorry. I still would have been here. All right. So what does your life proclaim? That's the question. What does your life proclaim? I'm going to jump and skip down rather than worshipers of self. We're created to be proclamation people. If we had a formula in the Bible, Ephesians 4, 2, Ephesians 4, 22 through 24 is our formula. That is put off, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on. You guys have this chart in your notes. So, how much time do we have? 10? If you said 10. Okay, we good? All right. Uh, let's go through this a little bit. So put off, let's say my issue is complaining and the chart that says put off, what thought, action or habit do you need to eliminate from your life? 
James 5, 9 says, do not complain against one another so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. Philippians 2, 14 tells me, do all things without grumbling or disputing. If you know that this is your thing, it's like, yes, I complain all the time. My coworkers are getting on my nerves. They just, oh, they just drive me crazy. I want to work from home to get away from them. I don't like, it's too cold in here. It's like, okay, I just, my household is just messy. I can't deal with this clutter. It's like, am I a hoarder? Okay, maybe. Um, there's just stuff going on. It's like, okay, this relationship is just, he's not treating me right, or, or my mother is just so mean to me. She's always critical. All these things we can complain about. Okay, second column, renew your mind. Write out God's viewpoint about the issues you have identified. Study and meditate on these scriptures. Okay, I just told you the Bible clearly says, do, do all things without grumbling. Step three, put on. Okay, what am I putting on? What new way of thinking or acting must you have now uh, to practice with the help of the Holy Spirit? Um, instead of complaining, put on gratitude. First Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all things. This is a command. Two commands, do not grumble. Give thanks in all circumstances. That is crystal clear. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So like I was saying, gratitude is a powerful, powerful weapon. It's not like what Oprah is saying. Do the three gratitudes and feel good about yourself. It is not about us. So gratitude, the Apostle Paul is well known for writing scriptures about thankfulness. A lot of them. Most of this uh, is well known. And then... I'm just looking through the scriptures, don't have time for it. Let me let me just say, it's like, how would I pray about this? That's the last column. How would I pray? So I'm going to pray now that I know that gratitude can replace complaining. I'm just going to read this real quickly. Dear God, thank you for your amazing power and work in our lives. Thank you for your goodness and for your blessing over us. Thank you that your word teaches us the power of gratitude. Thank you that you see, this is thanking him for some truth. Thank you that you are able to bring hope through even the toughest Time, strengthening us for your purposes. Thank you that you're always with us and will never leave us. Forgive us for when we don't thank you enough for who you are, for all that you do, for all that you've given. Help us to set our eyes and our hearts on you afresh. Renew our spirits. Fill us with your peace and joy. That's how you can do that chart. That's how you can do some self-evaluation. Told you I'm extra. I'm a biblical counselor, so gotta do it extra. Okay, 2 Corinthians 4, 5, and 6. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ our Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Christ, for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, as shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We shine brightly when we are true worshipers. So what are some key benefits of true worship? True worship is uh, of God is the foundation for overcoming life's problems. You have problems, this is the key. True worship is characterized by humility, reverence, and sincere devotion to God's will and glory. True worship involves recognizing and acknowledging God's sovereignty, power, love, and responding to Him with reverence, obedience, and wholehearted devotion. So true worship will release your burdens. True worship will remove your shame. True worship will restore your soul. 
So how does it release our burdens? The things in your life that are burdening you are not meant to destroy you. Sometimes we think, I can't handle this. This is, I don't even want this. I'm just being destroyed because of the anxiety, the depression. I'm overeating. I don't like my body. All this stuff. It just, I'm being destroyed. No, that's because you're worshiping self. It's, this is not meant to destroy you. So you choose that truth. However, your never ending, flesh confident, problem solving will lead you down the road to a life of anxiety and depression. It's the way that you're trying to solve your problems. Or it's this expectation that I, it's like I'm entitled to this. I'm a Christian. I go to church. God, why aren't you blessing me? Why? And we sit there mad and stew and do not do what God calls us to do. Or we try to solve this problem in our own strength. Release your burdens to Jesus because his way is light. And he promises to give you rest. And Matthew 11, 28-30 says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's a problem. I mean, that's a promise. Because what I was thinking was, like, okay, I have a problem sleeping at night because my mind won't stop. This is a promise. He will give me rest when I give these anxieties, whatever my thoughts are, over to him. And that is true. Even if it means... Okay, I got to turn on somebody's sermon, not a hyped up pastor, but a, you know, a boring pastor, right? <laughs> Get somebody boring. And it, it, but it, it feeds my mind and it comforts. For some reason, it just takes away that, right? So you do what you got to do. Uh, take my, sometimes it could be music, not, not, nothing to lift you up, but something calm and worshipful. Uh, verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If your um, boss is putting burdens on you, remember. I mean, really, you have to go there in your thoughts. It's like, okay, God is greater. And he says, the burden is light. He didn't bring me to this job and this boss to destroy me. Okay, how much time do I have? I have none. Okay. I'm almost, this is like two slides left. Okay, worship, huh? Two minutes. Two minutes. Okay, worship removes your shame. Shame is an accuser. Shame says your worthlessness disqualifies you from the right to connect with God and others. That's a lie. Bottom line, only through surrendering your defensive view of yourself, which is self-worship, can you experience genuine connection with God. So you have to stop self-worshipping and start God-worshipping. Okay, we're almost there. Restores your soul. True worship sets you free from shame, anger, all this kind of stuff. And then self-worship seems harmless when it is cloaked with... I'm going to skip that. The last one. True worship restores your soul from being loud, noisy, and anxious about the painful issues of life to the peace of a quieted and calm soul in Jesus Christ. The last slide. Oh, wait, 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 right here. Okay, on oh, my email. Hold on. So the gospel already tells us, remember the three desires that we have. The gospel already tells us you are already loved in Christ. You are already significant in Christ. You are already secure in Christ. So there's no need to go out and, and look for it and kill yourself trying to get this from people and things in your life because you already have it. Based on that, then you move out and live your life. It's like, okay, why do I do what I do? Based on this. Make sense? Yes. Thank you guys for coming. Yes. Okay.